Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I am super excited that uh, we have a special guest in our space today. Her name is Dr. Shar Ray. There's a whole bunch of things that she does, and we're going to mix it up with her a little bit. We're sitting here with Amanda as well, the other massage therapist holding the microphone. Hi guys, it's Amanda, a registered massage therapist here in Toronto, and I'm also super excited because um, Dr. Ray and I go back uh, seven years, seven years years. we met, yeah, I want to say seven years, maybe eight, Um, my first job um, as a registered massage therapist, I was renting space in a clinic in Midtown Toronto where Dr. Ray was one of the owners, one of the two chiropractors there. Um, But we actually didn't even meet until I had been there for at least three or four months because you were on maternity leave with baby number three. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to hand it over to Char so she can introduce herself and let you guys know who she is and what she's doing now. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Three babies? Three babies. Three babies. You're you're superwoman. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Char, thank you for coming. Uh, Let everyone know who you are. Well, first I want to say thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Mark, for having me on. Uh, Whenever I have an opportunity to speak about uh, this particular topic that I'm so passionate about, I get very excited. So just the fact that you have asked me to be a part of your podcast today is absolutely amazing. So yeah, like you said, I am a chiropractor. I've also been involved in corporate wellness for the last 11 years. So setting up uh, wellness programs at companies. Uh, So whether it's massage therapy, as you know, you've done some work with me there as well. Uh, Massage therapy, naturopathy, yoga, chiropractic, lunch and learns, the whole gamut. I've done it all at... um, at numerous companies in Toronto and the GTA. And um, recently, and when I say recently, I say in the last three years, I've become really focused on empowerment, um, empowerment facilitation, not just with children, but with adults as well. So I've added empowerment facilitator and coach onto my resume as well. Awesome. So yeah, quite a few different hats I wear. Yeah, you do. Um, as Mark said, you're a superwoman. So being a mom of three kids, that's that's enough. And then chiropractor and now this um, empowerment facilitation and as well your your project that we're going to talk about a little later which is the empowerment project correct right wait wait I have a quick question before you guys start rolling into this how do you go from chiropractor to coach like where does that come from Uh, actually you know it's a really good question Um, the truth is is when I have patients in front of me part of their therapy is not just physical. It's not just about adjusting their spine. It's about really giving them a full-on tune-up. So that means I'm talking to them about what's happening mentally. I'm talking to them about what's happening biochemically. You know, what are they eating? Are they drinking enough water? I'm talking to them about what they're doing physically outside the office. So it's really encompassing their whole lifestyle when they come in um, and giving them a tune-up in every single direction. So that's sort of where the coaching came in because I realized it wasn't just about giving them an adjustment and sending them off on their way. It was about giving them a really good foundation to jump off of so they can get out there and use some of the positivity and the words to make their day better. Right. Um, I mean, that just makes sense to me as a massage therapist. And I'm sure Mark can agree. Our our clients are 
very willing to open up to us about anything. We kind of become not just massage therapists, but therapists in a way. Exactly. And so I think it sort of is a natural fit, especially knowing you for all these years. Those of you listening don't know her, but um, you have a very different approach with your patients where you actually do care about hearing about what they're doing, about their lives. And we both know that pain isn't necessarily always caused by physical trauma. Absolutely. And that is truly one of the things that I've learned over the 18 years of practice. So much emotional pain, so much biochemical pain, so much physical pain, it will show up in your nervous system and your spine. Mm -hmm. So you really end up becoming more of a detective when these patients come in because you need to understand what layer is really being highlighted? Is it because they're having a tough time at work? Are they having a a difficult time with their child? Are they going through a divorce? All of that emotional trauma can lead to many health issues. Right. So we see that in the spine. We see that in the nervous system, as you guys see in muscle tone when you have your hands on somebody. Right. Um, So that kind of brings us into what we're talking about today. Uh, Since I've known uh, Dr. Ray, we we've talked, she's taught me a lot about uh, the power of the mind. Um, And for those of you who have been listening to us since the beginning, Mark and I do uh, teach a section in our RMT business seminar here at Con Ed Institute about changing your mindset to change your practice, not only your practice, but your entire life. And a lot of this, I actually started learning about from you and your business partner at the time. And, um, We have Dr. Ray here today to talk about the science behind it. A lot of you listening do work in healthcare. A lot of you are probably registered massage therapists. And so naturally, science is what we want to hear, right? We want to hear, okay, sure, this all sounds great and exciting, but show me the research, right? So Dr. Ray is going to talk about the science of mindfulness. So tell us, talk to us, what do you know? Well, it's amazing because there is so much research out there now on, you know, thinking positively and being mindful and the science behind it. But a lot of people don't know where to go because there's just such a vast amount of information. So for me, because it became an interest, I started diving into the different types of research out there to try to hone it all in and make it easier for people to understand. And so what I've discovered um, through the work that I've done is the thoughts that you actually have um, occurring in your brain, in your mind, will affect the way that you feel. So it'll actually change the way you physiologically feel, the way you physiologically function. And the way that you feel will affect the way that you behave and the way you behave will automatically change your environment. So what does that all mean? It means that you need to be careful about what you're feeding your brain. So a perfect example is we have to understand, I mean, you guys know this as as massage therapists, your brain and nervous system controls absolutely every single function in your body. So Mm -hmm. it controls muscular function, your organs, your glands down to a single cell and Same with your thought processes. Everything that runs through your brain is going to control the way that you feel, the way that you act, the way that you um, behave, and eventually your environment. So when you have a negative thought in your brain, for example, you know, you know, I suck at math. I deal with a lot of children. So this is a common thing that I hear from them. I suck at math. I'm not very good at this. They tend to have this negative self-talk, this negative dialogue. 
Um, what we try to teach them and help them understand is the more negative dialogue you have, the more you're going to start releasing hormones in your body and chemicals in your body that match that thought. Mm -hmm. So these are neuropeptides that you end up releasing in your body. Those neuropeptides, in fact, will make you feel bad. They actually can turn your mood uh, from a higher vibration to a lower vibration. So helping kids understand that that can actually affect the way that you feel and eventually affect the way you perform. So if you think you're really crappy at math, then guess what? You're probably not going to be doing so well on the next math test that you're presented with, right? And that will affect your environment. It's going to affect the way that you feel at school. It's going to affect the way that you feel around your friends that might be doing really well at math. It might affect the way that you behave um, in your classroom, the way your teacher reacts with you. So it is this chain, that this circle that continues and continues. So we try to teach everybody, and this is not just, this is universal information, right? So it's not just children, it's adults and corporations, it's parents, just understanding that if you can learn to uh, change the dialogue that you have in your head, you can actually change the way that you feel and the way that you perform over the course of the day. Can you explain to our listeners what you mean by higher vibration and lower vibration? Absolutely. Mark, when you're at a concert, how do you feel? I feel great because I love rock music. Okay. <laughs> and when you're at a funeral, how do you feel? I don't go to them because I hate them. Okay. Because they probably make you feel really bad. They make you feel really sad. So vibrationally, that's what's happening. When you're feeling really happy and you're in a good mood, automatically you're tuning in to a different frequency, right? Like you're you like rock music. So you're tuning into a certain station to get rock. I love pop. <laughs> so 99.9, .9, that's my station. That's where I go, right? It's what my kids make me listen to. Like new pop? Like pop? <laughs> whatever they make me listen she to. She has like preteens. <laughs> so <fascinated>. yeah. <laughs> listen, I'm new to all of that too. But what I'm saying is that your moods will actually change uh, the frequency of the way that you function, right? So rock is going to feel different than pop. So that's what I mean. I hope I answered that question for you. Um, so in that same light, in that same tone, when we're talking about being in a good mood or putting good thoughts in your head, like, I'm a great dancer, I'm an awesome basketball player, I'm really good at science, I am getting better at math, even not I'm great at math, but I'm getting better at math. And again, I sort of go back to, you know, school because... That's where we all started. That's where we've built our foundation in the elementary school years. Mm -hmm. So just by changing that, uh, that dialogue that you're having in your head, you're releasing new hormones. You're releasing things like dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins. And as you know, we've heard all of these types of hormones um, and we know about them and we know what they do to our body. They will generally make you feel so much better. So once again, if you have positive thoughts, you're going to feel so much better. And because you feel better, you're going to do better. Your actions, your behaviors are going to match. And that will actually affect your environment. You'll feel better about going to school. You'll, be, you'll feel better about going to the office. You'll feel better about being in a social event or even parenting your kids, right? We all know that when we have a bad day and we bring that home, how do, we, how do our kids react? Right. So this is what I mean when I say it's universal. It doesn't really matter where you take this information. It's going to affect every single aspect of your life. So um, the way that I teach 
everybody. So whether, again, it's children, it's parents, it's teachers, it's coworkers, it's friends, it's patients, the way that I try to teach people on how to take control is, first of all, give them this beautiful word called neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is really cool because it helps you understand that your brain is actually not hardwired. It's it's um, very plastic. It's moldable. So when you want to feed your brain different thoughts, your brain is okay and open with it. It takes a little bit of work. Don't get me wrong, right? If you've been telling yourself these and sharing these negative thoughts with yourself for a prolonged period of time, your brain will resist the new dialogue, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible. Yeah. You can't like eat a green salad and then lose five pounds the next day. I've tried. (laughs) I think we've all tried. (laughs) I think we've all tried. Yes. Um, It takes work. It does. It absolutely takes work. And one of the things that I tell people, and again, it doesn't matter who it is from, you know, elementary age kids to, uh, you know, the older individuals, anytime you're trying to create a habit, there's going to be resistance. Mm -hmm. Your body is going to resist you. Your body's going to tell you, hey, you know what? You went to the gym yesterday, don't bother going today. Or, you know what, you had that green salad yesterday, that should do some work. Don't worry about so having a So you can have a donut. <laughs> <laughs> have a donut, you know, sure, balance it out a little bit. Well, and this is why people think that their brains are hardwired. You hear people say, I am who I am, I'm not going to change, you know, that people believe that because to actually um, rewire your brain and to change the mold and to change the dialogue, it is going to take some some work. Absolutely. Actually, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton, an amazing, amazing doctor, scientist, um, he says that if you are able to understand what a child goes through or what a child sees, hears, observes between the ages of zero and six, you will understand what kind of an adult they're going to be. So he tells us, uh, explains that children live in what's called a hypnoidal state. And the hypnoidal state is where they observe everything almost in a a state of hypnosis. So they're not induced in hypnosis, but it's where they live. It's where their their wavelength lives. Um, And what they observe, what they see, what they hear is what they observe. And often that becomes their belief system. So we see that as adults. That's where that resistance comes in. That foundation has been set at Mm -hmm. a very young age. And that's what adults build on. They build on what they've learned from that very, very tender age. So Absolutely. Anytime you're hearing people say, I'm not going to change, you know, a leopard doesn't change its spots. I mean, I've heard that so many times. The truth is you're going to have to want to change and you are going to have to understand that it's possible. It's a matter of you wanting to do it. Yeah. The science is there. Your brain is not hardwired. Neuroplasticity, that is... it's real. (laughs) It's real. And in fact, I will tell you something. One of the reasons why people have such resistance is when they engage in actually in in, in these programs, which I offer, right? So um, whether I'm telling them to do affirmations or visualizations or whatever it is, when they start engaging in this process, we tell them to continue their affirmations, their visualizations for an extended period of time. I'm talking 30 plus days, right? And to do it regularly, twice a day, do the affirmations. I'm amazing. I'm smart. I'm a great parent. I'm a wonderful coworker. I'm kind. I'm courageous. Whatever it is that we're telling them, those are just examples, very simple examples of affirmations. But what happens is when you start feeding your body 
positive thoughts, you will feel better. Your body will start releasing more of those wonderful hormones, the dopamine, the serotonin, the endorphins, the oxytocin, all that kind of stuff. But what happens is your body's still craving those neuropeptides. Well, what about all that self, that negative self-talk? And how come I'm not getting any more of those neuropeptides that really make me feel bad? Very interestingly enough, when you are trying to change your dialogue, your body is going through withdrawal. We are all addicted to our thoughts. So when you try to change them, your body's going through a withdrawal. The same way that someone would go through a withdrawal from alcohol, from drugs, um, from smoking, right? So it is, it's chemical, it's psychological, but your body experiences very similar symptoms. So Again, that's where the science comes in, and that's why it becomes so important for people to understand that that withdrawal is happening because you've been so attached to a belief system that might need to change, that may not serve you anymore, right? So that's why it's important for people to understand the science, because that could really be that trigger that takes them from day one to day 30 or day 35. If they didn't understand the science, they might say, well, you know, it's day 10, it's day 12. This stuff doesn't work. I still feel like crap. This is all a load of garbage. Or maybe even feel worse. Now you're in a state of withdrawal, right? Right, exactly. And you will feel worse. And this is why we teach this. We tell people you are going to feel worse. And don't be alarmed if you do. It's a part of the process. And this is where the coaching comes in. This is where a little bit of the hand-holding comes in. Uh, You really want people to succeed. You want people to feel empowered. So by you know, hand-holding a little bit, by coaching a little bit, really getting them over the hump, they're so appreciative when they're able to see that light show up at the end of the tunnel. They're ecstatic and they're also so grateful, right? They're so grateful to know that they were able to do it. That's what's really remarkable about, about this. So again, the science of mindfulness becomes very important because it helps people understand the research. It under, helps them understand the chemical process behind everything that's happening. And it gives people that that uh, blind faith or that faith, I should say, that's going to really take them over the edge and take them mm-hmm. to that other side. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um... So what about you? How did you get it? Was there anybody in particular, whether it's somebody you know or, you know, somebody that maybe you came across their research, like who maybe motivated you to start researching more into this? Because as I said, from the time I've met you, this was already something that you talked a lot about even before the Empowerment Project existed, even before you had become a coach. You were always really into the science of positivity and the science of mindfulness. Who were your inspirations? Um, I'm going to tell you the very honest truth. It was my daughter. So uh, this is a story I share every time I talk about science of mindfulness and when I talk about um, the power of positive thinking. When my daughter was born, uh, Alicia, she's 14 now. So you can imagine this process for me started 14 years ago. But when she was born, you know, when the first things I said to her when uh, she was given to me in my arms was, uh, I hope you're nothing like me. <laughs> I hope you're, you feel, I feel, I hope you are confident and you have a, a healthy self-esteem. I feel, I hope you feel and know how smart you are and how beautiful of a person you're going to be. So I was telling her, I hope you're all of these wonderful things that are not me at all. 
And um, when they took Alicia away to weigh her, I sat there and I thought to myself, wow, I'm really wishing all these wonderful things for my daughter, but she's doomed. Because I have no idea what that means. Well, because as you said, in her formative years, who's she looking at? She's looking at Mommy. me. Right. <laughs> so this is exactly it. So I didn't know what being confident was like or having a healthy self-esteem. And, you know, everybody goes through their day-to-day life and sort of doing what they what they feel like they need to do. But when I'm offering all these things to my daughter and going, oh, my gosh, how on earth am I going to teach her this stuff? How is how is she going to know this stuff? I started panicking. I'm like, uh-oh, I got it. I've got some work to do. Mm-hmm. Like before she really finds out <laughs> who I am, I've got some work to do. So the person, the book that I went to first was Louise Hay's book. So I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Hay House Radio or Hay House, the website, but Louise Hay is someone that's been practicing affirmations for many, many years. And she's passed recently. I think it's actually been a year since, um, since her passing, but her affirmations is what I decided that I wanted to start looking into. And of course, I, I started reading this book called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. And she talks about healing the inner child and doing mirror work and doing affirmations. So I said, okay, well, if this has worked for her and all the people that she said it's worked for, then absolutely, I'm going to do it too. Like, I am so gung-ho about this. I really want to be the best parent I can possibly be. So I'm going to do the work. So mm-hmm. I started doing it. I started doing the affirmations every day. Uh, and I hit I hit the brick wall. I told you, day 10 of affirmations. I'm like, what is this? I feel worse than I ever mm-hmm. did. I don't even want to continue with this. Um I'm I'm probably that 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 case, you know, the one case out of a million people that these affirmations don't work for. Yeah, that's but just my life. Everybody thinking that. I'm going to pause right. you for a moment. With um, we keep talking about how yes, you're going to go through withdrawal and you're you're going to feel worse, and at first it will feel like it's not working. And affirmations themselves are pretty frigging cheesy. Like we can admit, like you feel like a complete moron looking at yourself in the mirror saying, I am beautiful. I am confident. I, you feel like an idiot. Yeah, I don't, for sure. I don't feel like an idiot when I do, but I'm curious as to what your affirmations were. If you remember, Bef- wait, before we do, I just, I just wanted to get this point out for anyone who's listening and is already thinking that we've all lost our goddamn minds. Yeah. Is- no, my mind's here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. That's debatable. Um, this is something that, um, you know, I, I remember a friend of mine saying to me, I don't understand why this isn't working because I'm doing the affirmations and I, I'm thinking positively. If you have to tell me, I don't understand why this isn't working, I'm thinking positively, you haven't quite got there. You haven't gotten there yet. This is something where you kind of do have to fake it till you make it. You have to keep pushing through it. You're not going to feel good right away. Right. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but you have to go through this piece where, as you said, you thought you were the one in a million this wasn't going to work for. Right. That's normal. You're going to feel like this is ridiculous and you might feel like quitting but you got to keep pushing through that. So anyway, yes, your affirmations. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, no, I'm (laughs) curious as to if you remember. So they were really simple at first. Yeah. I am a great mother. I'm confident. I'm smart. I'm beautiful. I'm telling you, these are all the things that I did not believe about myself at all. I, I made it through chiropractic college. I was one of the top students in my class, but still I didn't believe I was smart enough. Uh, I married a wonderful man. 
And he obviously saw something in me that I didn't <laughs> because I still ask him to this day, you know, why, why did you do this? You know? <laughs> do you know what you were getting yourself into? But, um, but you know, when I hit that brick wall, that's where my science brain kicked in. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, if this has worked for so many people, why is this not working for me? What is happening right now? Why is it that I felt really good for the first eight, nine days when I started, but all of a sudden I start, I'm feeling like crap again. It's just not working for me. And that really triggered me wanting to dig into the science. So I came across a book called... Um, the Science of Changing Your Mind. Um, and it was a book about evolving your brain. And it was written by a chiropractor, actually, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And Dr. Joe Dispenza does amazing research with respect to neuroplasticity and, you know, uh, you know, helping people understand how the brain is rewired and understanding the intra- entire idea of how your body goes through withdrawal. So, um, and if I didn't get the name of the book correctly, I will, I am telling you, it's Dr. Joe Dispenza. I can always clarify that with you mm-hmm. later. Uh, but I started reading his book on the, on the actual science. So the physiology, what happens to the cells when you actually break networks in your brain. So, you know, you can just imagine if you've been feeding, you know, I, I, I suck at math. If you've been feeding yourself that for the last 10 years, you've cause this huge network of cells to come together and create this really, really tight network and a belief system, whereas I suck at math. Mm -hmm. But remember, if you don't use it, you lose it. So by switching your thought pattern to, I am getting better at math, I'm getting uh, better at science, I'm a great basketball player, by actually changing your thought patterns, you're creating an amazing new network. Right. So that old network it starts breaking down because it's not being used anymore, right? So that's a, that's where the withdrawal comes in. That network's not being used anymore. Those chemicals aren't being released with those thought patterns. So just understanding the way my brain was creating this new network, this new um, this new conglomerate of cells and how they wanted to behave and talk to and communicate with one another, that's what really got me over the edge. And so this is what I teach people. So it doesn't matter if it's a patient coming in or if it's a child at a school, I'm telling you that this stuff works if you understand the science. And there's some people that can do it without the science. They've just got blind faith and it works and all that stuff. But my brain doesn't work like that. My brain needed logic. Mm -hmm. I needed to understand the actual process of the entire thing. And I will tell you, it has been a savior when I talk to uh, talk to patients and talk to kids. Kids understand science. They understand the brain. They're so smart. And I will tell you another thing. They don't just take things for face value. They don't just say, you know, you can't just tell a kid these days, be happy. Put a smile mm-hmm. on your face. It'll make you feel better. They're like, uh-uh. No. Tell me why. They want to know why. They want to know why. Why, to why? the question that I hear 7,000 times why? a day. Why, why mommy? Why? Exactly. <laughs> and so I will tell you, 
you know, I think it's such a blessing to have these inquisitive minds because I will tell you when I was eight years old, I would never have asked if someone told me to do something, I would have just done it. Right. But the fact that these kids are so inquisitive and they want to know why things work the way that they do and why their brains function the way that they function. It's amazing. Like I, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you've ever heard of we Neil deGrasse Tyson. We were just watching him last night. We, oh. It's kind of, it's kind of an addiction of ours actually. Okay. Because I love watching him, especially on Joe Rogan. Yeah. Oh, my God. I I watch him on Joe Rogan all the time. Yes. So he's amazing. And so what he says is children's brains are naturally scientific. Like they're naturally uh, like investigators. Like they are so curious. So again, it's really about giving the kids... Um, And again, it's one of the reasons why I work with children and I love working with them because they're so inquisitive and they're these sponges and they just absorb everything, Mm -hmm. right? So, and they don't have the amount of damage that we see in adults, right? Because let's be honest, right? We've all grown up with issues. We've all grown up with issues. I'm still dealing with mine. I'm 14 (laughs) years in, I'm still dealing with mine. But these kids are just remarkable. They want to know why. So when you give them the why and you see that light bulb like turn on and it's so bright, it is so rewarding. Well, then it it's it becomes an experiment versus just let's do this thing because it's going to make us feel better. You might do it for two days and say, this is stupid. But if it becomes an experiment that this is why this is happening. Right. And then they want to they want to see it through to see like, is this really going to work? You right. know, is this science real? Right. Then they're going to see it through. Yeah, I can see that kids, they, they do. They want to know why to everything. Everything, Amanda. Oh my gosh. Um, so we when we teach children, we also teach their parents. Uh, And the program is called the Empowerment Project. I know that you were asking about it earlier in the podcast, but it's called the Empowerment Project. And um, we teach parents too, because we want to be able to bridge that gap. If we're going into a school to teach kids on how to empower themselves and really take control of the thoughts that they have, we want to be able to teach parents the same thing, because that opens up the dialogue. That bridges that gap. It opens the lines of communication up between uh, the kids and the parents. And then it becomes a little bit more real. If you start implementing things in your house that your child has learned at school on how to empower themselves, that's going to, that's going to take your catapult your kids to a completely different level, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's the same thing that we do with uh, teachers. We teach them, hey, we have a great way that you can implement some of these empowerment tools and techniques in your classroom. And they're starting to utilize them because they're noticing that that makes a really big difference with the way the kids behave. So um, it's it's amazing. Uh, Sean Anker, have you guys heard of Sean Anker? No, I haven't. Uh, so amazing, amazing guy. I've, I haven't obviously met him personally, but I've read a lot of his stuff. He has a PhD in happiness. He studied happiness at Harvard University. This is a thing? Right. I know. Harvard, I'm coming for you. Yeah, exactly. Like a PhD in happiness. Like, can you just imagine? I mean, I want to go there. (laughs) I need to get my PhD in happiness. But again, I think it's really important for everybody. And again, it doesn't matter what age group, whether you're talking to kids, you're talking to parents, you're talking to teachers, people in corporations. It is a thing. Studying happiness, studying mindfulness, understanding the science and research behind it. It's a thing. And it's real. So 
that's my mission, really, to get out there and spread the word and get people to understand that there is so much that they can do to start empowering themselves now, like right now, right, right this minute. They don't have to wait till tomorrow. They don't have to wait to see, um, you know, what the long-term effects are. There are immediate results if you start taking advantage of these tools and techniques now. Mm -hmm. Um, Just so everybody who's listening knows, uh, here at Conant Institute, we are hosting a free education night where we've got a couple of speakers lined up. Uh, We want to do this rather frequently. We're thinking maybe once a quarter, maybe once every couple of months, Um, just sort of a networking social event for people to come in and learn some interesting stuff. Uh, Dr. Ray has agreed to come in and really delve into this further. So um, if you are interested in learning more about the science of mindfulness and um, neuroplasticity and power of positivity, the empowerment project, any any of the things she's discussing, um, get in touch with us at Conad Institute and we'll let you know how to do that. You know what else I'm thinking? Just I just kind of thought of it right now. Maybe we'll like Facebook Live it or something. Oh, Oh. interesting. All the things we can do with social media. Okay, so we've talked about um, what's happening in your brain. You know, as you said, breaking down these connections that have existed since childhood based on stuff you've learned, probably from your parents, and then trying to build new connections, new synapses through neuroplasticity. Of course. Um, I know we teach this and we've discussed it. I want to get your take on it. Then how do how do people do it? People listening want to know, what do I do now? Okay. So uh, actually a lot easier than you think. So what we do is we'll often start, or what I do with my patients, not just in, in the Empowerment Project, but even with my patients, is I'll get people to start journaling. So sometimes that seems a little off for, uh, for some people, and it feels great and very natural for others. If you don't like to journal, even saying affirmations out loud, um, typing them into your phone and then repeating them just because you have them in your notes or whatever, or on your tablet, your computer, whatever. But writing three affirmations, three affirmations every day. And some people want to keep, I actually recommend keeping the same affirmations because if it's something that you really want to work on, like I'm smart, for example, I am worthy as an, another example, if you really want to start feeling those things, I think s- starting off with the same affirmations and sort of continuing with, continuing with them for an extended period of time, I would say 30 plus days is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. So, but the other thing that I get people to do is to journal uh, gratitude. So gratitudes can be something that are different every day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're feeling more grateful. You know, some days you feel more grateful than others. Like some days you're feeling grateful because you've got a wonderful family and a great job and a home to live in. And other times you're you're, you're like really trying to find something to be grateful for. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I've had a really crappy day. Okay, I'm breathing. I'm just going to be grateful that I am alive and breathing right now. And that's okay too. So affirmations, gratitudes, writing them down. I would say three affirmations, three gratitudes every day. And what you're going to start understanding is the reason why this becomes so important is because you're going to start affecting your brain. So affirmations will start uh, rewiring your brain. Gratitude starts affecting things like your prefrontal cortex. It starts affecting your hypothalamus. So where your 
um, doing your emotional processing, where your interpersonal bonding, your social interactions, your moral judgment, um, understanding the mental state of others, that all happens in your prefrontal cortex. So when you start using gratitudes, you're enhancing this part of your brain, like which is pretty amazing, mm-hmm. right? When you think about it. Um, Your hypothalamus is responsible for sleep and body temperature and metabolism. Hello, everybody. Metabolism. We all want a faster metabolism. (laughs) We can get on board with that. So by repeating gratitude, you're affecting the hypothalamus in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So again, these are tools that you can use that you know are going to be directly affecting the way that your brain functions. Um, Gratitude. Again, something that I feel I learned a lot about from you. Uh, I did this exercise one time that I uh, got from a book, and I don't remember the title of the book, so I will not quote it. Uh, But there was an exercise in the book that said to write down at the beginning of every day for 30 days, Mm -hmm. write down one thing that you're grateful for. And that thing is something you were supposed to think of all throughout the day, especially at any point where something had gone wrong. So you're sitting at your desk at work and something goes terribly wrong. And at that moment, you can either switch your mood and now you're in a really shitty mood, which probably means the rest of your day is going to be pretty shitty as well. Right. Or you can take a minute, just close your eyes and think of that thing that you had decided at the beginning of the day that you were really grateful for. I did do that for 30 days. I wrote it down actually in my my appointment book because I had to look at that every day with right. the clients I was seeing. And there would be this one thing that I had written down and I would just think about throughout the day. Um, and it was amazing how quickly it works. You just start feeling grateful for something and suddenly that shitty moment of your day isn't as bad as it had seemed because there is always something to be grateful for. As you said, even if it's something as simple as I'm breathing. And some days my my gratitudes were something really ridiculous, like this new shirt I got. I really like the way that it makes me look. So it was right. I was grateful for this new shirt. <laughs> so again, there's so much research on gra- gratitude also. Mm-hmm. So what you've basically discussed and what you've just said is when you feel like you're having a crappy state, uh, you're, so our brains live in either a beta state, an alpha state, a theta state, a delta state, depending on what state of wakefulness we're in, Mm -hmm. right? So the beta state is where we're feeling very stressed. We have to get something done immediately. There's like a deadline. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, or something triggers you and you feel a little riled up. So your brain automatically goes into beta state. So staying in the beta state is not a bad thing if you have to get something done immediately, right? It's your normal waking state. If you need to get a tackle, a project, a task, it's a good place to be. But the second that you start spending a little too much time in that area, your body starts producing a lot more cortisol. And yes. I'm sure you guys know cortisol is a stress hormone. Stress, yeah. Right? So in small doses, cortisol is great. It keeps us ready for action. Uh, but it also triggers high stress, high pressure, like high blood pressure, it increases your blood pressure. Um, And it's not good for you to be living in that state for an extended period of time. So what gratitude does, which is absolutely amazing, is gratitude takes you into the alpha state. So the alpha state is actually the 
prime state to be in when you're learning. So there's things like if you ever listen to Baroque classical music, Baroque classical music is a great thing to have on in the background if you're ever studying for a test or you're really focusing on a task because it puts your brain into alpha state. An alpha state is the optimal learning state. You're relaxed and it also helps you become more creative. Mm -hmm. So um, writing these gratitudes down and really being able to bring you from that point of no return where you're just feeling like I'm so riled up. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. This is really bothering me to, and really being able to use gratitude to bring you back into that calm state. You're doing your, your brain, your body, a great service. Well, and as you said, alpha state, um, helps you to be more creative. So this is where your eyes open up a little bit and you might see opportunities that you're not going to see when you're in this stressed out beta state. Absolutely. So if you live there, you're going to miss things that might serve you better. You right. need to you need to be in this state where your mind is open up to creativity and to create things that that you need. Absolutely. And breathing. How about just breathing? That's another <laughs> great thing. Most people don't breathe properly. Actually, oh, I'm going to say 99.9% of the population does not, they do not, no. No, they don't breathe properly. So just by understanding and controlling your breath can take you from beta to alpha state. So it's another mm-hmm. t- a tool that we teach people how to breathe. I know that sounds funny because we breathe, it, breathe all the time. We need to be doing that in order to survive. But when you're actually aware of your breathing rhythms, the actual rhythmic breathing patterns, it is amazing what it does to your body. It's incredible effects. I just um, wrote uh, wrote about this in one of the blogs that we posted, um, is that most people are breathing just for that exchange of gases. That's right. People aren't actually aware of what their breath is doing and therefore the breath probably isn't doing what it's intended to do. You know, it's not getting to all of the cells. We're not getting enough oxygen to our brain because it's this shallow, rapid, quick exchange of gases. So there is, um, and maybe you guys have seen him on on Facebook or YouTube, Jay Shetty. Have you ever heard of Jay Shetty? No, I haven't. Really a cool story about this guy. Um, I mean, I'll get the basic story is he was a, he was working here, not here, sorry, but in somewhere in Europe, he was a, a full-time student or he had just gotten a job, but decided that he didn't want to pursue corporate anymore. And he moved, um, he moved somewhere in Asia and decided he wanted to be a monk. So I'm sorry, I oh, don't wait, know. Oh, wait, I do know. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, yeah, okay. So it's very interesting. So he was, he basically went to school to learn to be a monk because he was just tired of, I guess, the rat race, the corporate mm-hmm. hustle. And um, he was walking by a group of five-year-olds at monk school, okay? And it was a 10-year-old teaching the class. And um, it's such a great story because uh, he tells it so well. So excuse me if it doesn't come across exactly the way he tells it. (laughs) However, he goes up to the 10-year-old, the teacher, and says, what are you teaching these kids, these five-year-olds? And he asked Jay, the teacher asked Jay, the 10-year-old teacher asked Jay, well, what do you learn when you first go to school? He said, ABCs, one, two, threes. And the 10-year-old monk said, I'm teaching these kids how to breathe, how to use their breath, because it is the only thing that stays with you your entire life. The first breath you take, 
the last breath you take. It's the only thing that stays with you your entire life. So to be able to use it to your advantage in your everyday life is so important. So that was sort of the gist of the story, but I just thought it was incredible. Uh, because again, it's one of those things that people are like, oh, she's teaching me how to breathe. Like, how does that work? Right. But again, it's getting you out of beta state. It's yes. getting you into alpha state where you can be more creative. You can be more calm. You can reduce the amount of cortisol that's being pumped into your body. You can reduce inflammation through breathing, right? So there's so many things that, um, there's so much research that supports that. I like it. I like it. Um, this is all really good. I mean, you've, You've explained all the usable tools and we're sort of... You know what, of... actually, I did, I did have a question, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I know, I know. I just, it just hit me now. What about the... We had a mental performance coach that I, I did an interview with and she was talking a lot about affirmations. She works primarily with youth athletes and she... And this is actually something that I do along with my affirmations that I didn't know really was a thing. Power posing. And that's where you take on a physical presence. Yep. And then ever since she, she she told me that's that's what it is, I've been really kind of conscious of when I'm doing affirmations that I'm also doing this. Can you tell us a little bit about power posing? So do you stand in front of the mirror like Superman? Is that what you're talking about? Kind of. Because <laughs> that's right? what yeah. I do. I'm yes. Wonder Woman in I, the mirror. <laughs> I don't do my affirmations in the mirror. I actually do my affirmations along with another habit that I have. I okay. smoke. So I, I, it's it's actually really weird. Well, I think it works for me because I kind of match this habit of affirmations along with this other habit that I have. Your bad habit with your good habit? I know, I know. It's, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds really strange, but it kind of keeps me on the regular with my affirmations. Listen, whatever then, works, that's the thing, right? And then I'm power posing as I do my affirmations. And so the power pose is just like physically taking up space showing confidence and dominance and i feel like that kind of kind of further sinks in my affirmations well you're right because body language mm -hmm. they talk about body language all the time right uh body language again the way that you and you guys know where we are in a profession where we deal with posture all the time mm -hmm. so when you know somebody has good posture uh, when versus someone that doesn't have good posture, right? You can see that in them. But, and again, I don't have, uh, truth be told it right now, I can't think of who the researcher is that did the work, but you're smiling, like smiling, that's also a power pose, right? Mm -hmm. Smiling releases certain chemicals in your body. Um, the way that you hold your body, the way that you hold your shoulders back, your head up, that's also going to change the way that your body releases chemicals and hormones in your body. I mean, you can, you can also see that, yep. right? Someone that's got slumped shoulders and kind of has their head down, they don't look very happy. Well, and that also affects your breathing. It affects your breathing. It affects your confidence. It also affects the way people react to you. Yep. So, right, again... When you're out in the world, people are going to respond to you depending on what you're able to give them, right? Sure. And, and mm -hmm. listen, you smile at someone, someone's going to smile back at you. Sometimes people think you're a little weird and wonder why you're <laughs> smiling at them. You know what? That's only in the 416 area code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, don't, I, I smile at everybody. And so do Marco I. Marco says to me, like, why do people talk to you in public places? And it's 
because I'm looking up and I make eye contact with people. And if I make eye contact with someone, I'm going to smile at them. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, I do get in conversations with people in airports and grocery stores. Yeah, but that physical and... <laughs> presence really makes a huge difference. We did an interview yesterday, two days ago, I don't know, with, uh, with a personal trainer. His name is Brian. Yes, yeah. And Brian, you know, he suffers from depression, which he speaks about in the podcast. He's really into fitness and really into bodybuilding, but he goes through all these kind of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And he really uses fitness and exercise to try to climb them out of those holes. And you can see when we were doing the podcast with him, the moments of when he's talking about his depression, his body language changes. Yep. And then he started talking about, I can't remember what, but then he almost got into a flex. I actually told position, people the podcast. Like, he's literally flexing. flexing. Right, now, yeah. right? And, and his whole mood just changed just off of, uh, off of that change of his posture. It's yeah, really, really cool. It is. It's amazing what happens. I mean, and again, it's the same thing, right? Like you, you smile at people when you're at the mm -hmm. grocery store. So do I. My kids always ask me, you know, why did you say hi to that person? Do you know them? Do you I know said, them? Yeah. I said, no, <laughs> I don't know them. I just thought I'd say hello and be polite and kind and right and you and you hear people talk about kindness all the time you know giving someone a genuine compliment and again those are things that not only make you feel good like again dumping some of those really happy chemicals in your body but they also make other people feel good and you never know whose day you can make just mm -hmm. by saying hi just by making eye contact just by you know, giving someone a genuine compliment, like I really like your shoes or, you know, I like your hair or whatever. You never know, right? It's just, um, it's uh, really at the end of the day, let's be honest, right? We're trying to create awareness. We want to create awareness at every age group, at every level that you can empower yourself, you can empower others. And sometimes it really is just about changing your internal dialogue, using different words, putting a smile on your face, taking time to breathe, right? Feeling like just grateful. little things. I'm like yeah. feeling grateful, right? Like these are really simple things. So um, it's really, again, something that's out there. It's real. There's so much research. And I think it's important just to try to get it out there in any which way possible. Which is what you're doing. So uh, I think this is a perfect segue for you to tell us about this project that you have co-founded, the Empowerment Project, because as we've talked about a couple of times today, um, kids, kids are very inquisitive. Kids understand science. They're sponges. They absorb everything and they are observing what we're doing. So you, what you and your, your partners, uh, in the empowerment project are trying to do is start at this really young age of making children aware of what they're saying to themselves and how they are affecting their behavior and their environment. Yep. What is, what is this project? When did it start? What are you doing? Okay, so in the words of Whitney Houston, I believe the children are our future, okay? <laughs> and I, you know, I truly believe that these kids are going to change the world. So for me, again, as a parent, you know what I, you know my process, what got me on this, on this path. I started using all of this stuff with my own kids, right? Mm -hmm. So the affirmations, the gratitudes, telling them and teaching them about the science. And I thought to myself, if my kids understand this and they're taking it in, what about all the other kids that they go to school with? Like, why would it not benefit them as well? So that's sort of where the Empowerment Project took, uh, took root. Okay. Just in that entire thought process. And then I, there are two other people that I have co-founded the Empowerment Project about. And 
the Empowerment Project is a science-based mindfulness program that we take into elementary schools that we're now taking into high schools, which is pretty amazing, right? When high school students want to learn about this kind of stuff, it's pretty cool. High who, school who are your students. partners? Um, Andrea Bosco and Stephanie Gaston. So uh, we have been very fortunate because they've been lots of schools that have been open to it. So again, the science part they love because again, kids are smart. It's it's science. They love teaching kids about science. And actually, a lot of schools now have um, have brought in you know very similar programs or s- similar. Um, Uh, ideas of teaching kids about the science of the mind. And then we also teach them the techniques, right? So some of the techniques we talked about, the affirmations, the gratitudes, the breathing, um, meditations, and um, even yoga. Andrea is a a yoga instructor, correct? She is. Um, And she's been doing some pretty amazing things. She's actually taking breathing programs into schools now, which is something that is pretty remarkable. However, she so uh, the yoga instructor and we've got Andrew the yoga instructor and then we also do visualizations which I heard Mark you do visualizations right as well oh uh, yeah a little bit yeah so again we teach them how to use all of these cool tools and figure out what works for them right because everyone's going to sort of resonate and sort of gravitate mm-hmm. to a certain tool uh, we teach them how to do vision boards. And we give them a whole set of things so then they can pick and choose and they can say, hey, you know what? I really like doing affirmations, but I don't want to write it in a journal. I'm going to tap it into my phone or I'm going to tap it into my computer at home or I'm going to write it down on paper. Um, Or there might be someone that says, yeah, you know what? Meditation's not my thing, but I really, really like to do um, yoga. So that's okay. Do yoga. If yoga calms you down, fantastic. Do it. So again, it's about and it's really, again, it doesn't matter who the age group is. We are taking the Empowerment Project into schools because really, if we can lay a solid foundation down for these young, impressionable minds now, imagine what they can do later on, right? With such a positive outlook on life. I want to get you guys into my kids' school. I love this. We'll talk later. Yeah, we'll talk later <laughs> for sure, for sure. But yeah, it's been it's been a remarkable experience. We've been, we've been welcomed into schools. We've been welcomed back into schools, with this, which has been amazing. Uh, such a great experience and truly a privilege because when you're dealing with these beautiful young minds and you know that you're making a positive impression on them, I mean, there is nothing more rewarding. There's nothing more gratifying. Awesome. Um, anything else that I guess I should ask Mark first. So any other questions you've got for <laughs> Dr. Ray? <laughs> Why? Because I always have the afterthought. You always uh, have the afterthought. Mark always thinks of things in afterthought. In the short <laughs> predicted future, I think, I think I'm good. Um, Shar, is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything else that you want people to know about the science of mindfulness? That it's really easy. It's easy to get started. And with the science... It will be easy to continue with it. So again, for me, it's always been understanding the logic behind all of this. And it is possible. If you put your mind to it, it's possible. You can really change. You can, you have the power of changing your mind. Mm-hmm. Very simple. Agreed. Right. And you've got science to back it up. So again, you know what? If you need a little bit of handholding, if you need a little bit of coaching, find someone that will help you do that. 
Well, how do but, people find you? If somebody wants to get in contact with you, how do they do that? Um, they can go to my website, which is drsharay.ca. S-H-A-R-R-A-I. So, <laughs> yes, dot C-A and doctor is D-R. So drsharay.ca. Um, they can uh, email me at char at drsharay.ca. Um, and I'm open to any questions or comments that anyone might have after the podcast. Again, I'm really, my goal really, and my mission, like I told you, is really just to create awareness and open people's minds to uh, the opportunity to become empowered and really be able to take things into their own hands. Do you, th- you see, in- <laughs> it does I told up. you he'd do come you, back. Do you ever think that you can take all of this to a point where it's just way too far? Um, and it kind of has a negative effect. And I'll tell you what I mean. This is just bringing me back because I'm staring at my degree on the wall. At university, I took a course called Relaxation Theory and Practice. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that class was, you know, finding out different ways to induce a relaxed state and using biofeedback. So we're kind of checking out our heart rate, checking out our blood pressure as we're going through all these things. And through one of these exercises, it was a mindful next exercise to be aware of the physical space you're in, right? So, you know, you're not sitting on the chair, feel the chair against your body, feel your feet in the in your shoes, all that stuff. And I got my heart rate down to probably about 42 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. But then my mind totally freaked out on me. Like, I don't know what happened. I just had to take all the wires off me and leave the room because I was just kind of not in a good place. Right. Is, is there ever something that you need to worry about taking it too far? It is called practice. So it was probably something that you were not used to, mm-hmm. something that you were introduced to for the first time it or was. second time, and your body didn't recognize it. And it's a very similar to what I was talking about with the affirmations. Our body will start sending us signals to tell us, I don't, I don't know this. I don't like this. It goes through withdrawal, right? But our body fights us. It resists us from mm-hmm. what we naturally already know. Change has never been, um, has never been easy. But if you understand what happens in the change, it can be easy, right? So this is what I was saying mm-hmm. earlier. Like, this is easy. It's it's not a hard thing to do if you're open and you understand physiologically what's going to change and what's going to happen. Do you want me to tell you the truth? It's the fear of the unknown, Mm -hmm. right? When you don't know what you're going to experience, when you don't know how your body's going to react, it's scary. So uh, the whole idea of the science is to prep everybody and say, listen, guys, I'm telling you, you're going to love affirmations and you first start doing it. You're going to hate it at date eight. Mm -hmm. You're going to hate it so much that you're going to want to quit. But Again, by giving them the signs and for people to understand, hey, your physiology is changing. There's a little bit of a East Coast, West Coast war happening, right? Like, <laughs> so um, if people understand that, it is what will carry them over the edge. And, you know, listen, there's no harm in asking for help when you're in that process. There's no harm in diving a little deeper to understand what's happening with your body. You need to ask questions, right? If you're feeling fear or anger or resentment, dive into those feelings. It's important. We're humans. It's important for us to have those feelings, right? But we have to also understand why we're having them. And how is that really serving us right now? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So a very, uh, a, a really good question and a great comment. And I'm glad that you brought that up because, yeah, people are going to react differently. 
They are. You just have to be open to it. And you also need to be open to getting help because there's really nothing wrong with that either. Awesome. Well, Sorry for that. <laughs> no, it was a good question. Mark always has the last minute questions. Uh, but I mean, I, I think I like everything you said. And I think this gives people a really good idea of what you do. And this was obviously just a teaser just for the podcast. Um, if you want to hear more from Dr. Ray, uh, she let you know how to get in touch with her, uh, ca, And as well, uh, you can visit us at conedinstitute.com because she will be attending our very first to Massage Therapist Open Mic Night, where we're going to pass over the mics and let the experts talk to you about what they do, what they know best. And for Dr. Ray, that is the science of mindfulness. Uh, so I think we're good. I think that's all for today. Well, thanks so much for having me on. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share this information with your world. It's been awesome. And I am very grateful. Thank you. All right, everybody. I'm Amanda and I'm Mark. And we are two massage therapists. See you later.